0: Let's pray. God, if we listed out 10,000 reasons together to praise your name, to bless your name, to be thankful to you, we would just have a small beginning of all the reasons that we love you. We are so grateful, God, for your mercies, for your grace that are new to us every single day, including this one. And we pray that our voices lifted together this morning in worship have blessed you today. May we live this day with our voices, with our worship, with our lives, and every day as a blessing to you for all that you have done for us. In Christ's name we pray, amen. amen. You can be seated. The book of Acts contains the history of the early church, and specifically in those opening chapters, Luke gives us just some insights into what it was like to be a part of that first church in its infancy, in those early days. In two separate passages, Luke records these words. He says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, eating meals in each other's homes, and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers... They were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions, and they gave to anyone as they had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And all the believers were one in heart and in mind. Nobody claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, and they brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Well, good morning, everybody. I uh, want you to not be alarmed by the sound you hear on the roof. Every year on November 17th, we do a test to conduct, uh, to test the safety of the roof and see if it leaks. Uh, It just so happens this year it falls on a Sunday. So, I thought that would go over better than it did. Um, It just sounded better in my head, so... We'll use the tape from First Service this week for the podcast. Uh, Last week in his message, Gordon asked a very good question that strikes at the heart of the capital campaign that we're in. And the question was this, is this a worthy cause? Are the mission and ministry of Westridge Church worth investing not just my financial resources, but my life and my energy? It's a valid question. It's one I've had to wrestle with twice in the last six years. Six years ago when Connie and I were looking for a church home and we did what many of you have done and we looked around in the community and we came to Westridge. Four years ago when I was offered the opportunity to come on staff here at Westridge. And I really wrestled with the question because I'd lost my job and the convenient thing to do would have been to just quickly say yes. It would have meant I'd stay close to my family who all lived in the area. It would have meant not having to sell my house, not having to move. And we'd been attending here for two years already. We had friends here. We liked it here. But I had to wrestle with the deeper question. Do I really believe in the vision and the mission of this church? Enough to commit, What I realized after I went through that process of soul-searching is I really do. Westridge is a truly unique church in this area. There are a lot of other churches around. We reach people with the gospel that nobody else does. That's not a knock on the other churches. They reach people we don't. We just have a very unique calling and mission in this community. So what is it about this church that draws people in? What was it that drew me in, drew you in to this place? And makes it a place worth giving our lives, our time, our energy, and yes, our money, too. Well, let me just get this one right out of the way, out from the beginning. Let me just say it, because you're going to think it somewhere through. Here's the truth. We are not normal. (laughs) We're just not and in that way, somebody clapped over here. It was not a loud clap. It wasn't like engaging everybody else. It was just a silent confession. It's me. I'm not normal. We're a lot like the first church in Jerusalem. But the best estimates are that the church was several thousand at its beginning. We get that from you know the Sermon on the Day of Pentecost, 3,000 accepted Jesus. Shortly after that, it was up to 5,000. But those were mostly people who had taken a pilgrimage to Jerusalem for the day of Pentecost. It was a high holy day. They went home. And when the dust settled, there were about 500 or so people left in Jerusalem to form the nucleus of that church. A church about the size of Westridge. 500 adults. So, They were like us. For them, life in Jesus was radically different than anything they had ever known before. Understanding their newfound faith became an obsession for these new believers. Where they were once under the rigid standards and obligations of the Old Testament law, they now had to figure out what it meant to live by grace in Jesus. And there was no roadmap for them. They didn't have the scriptures to sit down and read that we do. And so they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Every word that the apostles said, they sat down. They every day met together to dissect it and figure out how do we live this life of grace. Now, mind you, they showed up at the temple on the day of Pentecost not To find a new church. Not to find a new faith. Not looking for Jesus or to have their lives turned upside down. They were ambushed by grace. My guess is that some of you know that feeling. It happened to you the first time you walked in the doors of this church. You walked in here and you came across something that was just a little odd. Odd a church that didn't look like or sound like a church. You walked in the door and you heard the music and you heard Dave Matthews or you heard Rush or you heard Mumford and Sons or you heard Paul Simon coming from the stage. You went, that's not normal. What's going on? You saw pastors get up on the stage and teach in blue jeans, which I personally love. You felt a little weird the first time you brought a cup of coffee in the auditorium with you. And let's just be honest, you thought somebody was going to catch you and make you take it out, didn't you? You still feel a little bit that way when you bring it in. You go, this is just not right. Something's wrong here. And on the surface, when you describe church to your friends and you tell them what this place is like, it sounds a little bit crazy. It's not a normal church experience that we have here. And the reality is, in our world, that there are people who are looking for God. They're looking for a spiritual dimension in their life. But they are not willing to go to a church to find it. At least, they're not willing to go to the picture of church that they have in their head as a normal church. And who can blame them? Many of the churches that we would talk about and think of as normal, the kind of churches that I grew up with, normal church, come off as judgmental, holier than thou. If you're going to go, you are expected to put on clothes that are itchy and scratchy and uncomfortable. It's just part of the experience. And when you go, they play music that's from the 1800s and they don't play it well. And the messages that you hear when you go don't seem to fit with life, or at least the life that most of us are living every single day. My guess is that when you walk through the doors of this church, you experience what I did the first time I came here. You found a church that flipped the script. A church where no perfect people are allowed. Because there really aren't any perfect people in this world. And there are none in this church. A church where we can come as we are and be ourselves. A church that's about relationships, about loving God and loving others. A church that's about turning the world upside down through serving. A church that's fun and relevant and makes a difference in our lives all at the same time. A church that I'm excited about inviting my friends and family to. Because I know That no matter where they are in their journey or if they're not even interested in God, they can come here and they will be loved and they will be accepted. And if they come with an open heart, there's a really good chance that on any given Sunday, they are going to encounter the radical love of God. I grew up in the church. I've been in church all my life since I was one week old. And a lot of those churches I would describe as boring, normal churches. I'm done with that. I don't want any more of that. Boring, normal church is risk-averse. Boring, normal church looks for safety. Boring, normal church is more concerned about the people who are already here than it is about the people who don't know the grace of God. I'm done with that. Here at Westridge, we are not afraid to try new things. We're not afraid to make mistakes. We are not afraid to fall on our faces trying. We're willing to blow things up in the process, sometimes literally. And we're not afraid to give away ministry to volunteers who are less than perfect. We're not afraid to end things that are not working, to take risks and to have fun in the process. And we will do our best to love people and use things and try not to get the two confused. If you hang with us for any length of time, you'll find out it's going to be a bumpy ride, but we're going to laugh and enjoy the ride together. And we'll grow together as God's people in learning what it means to be His family. But one thing we are not and we will never be as a church is boring and normal. It's just who we are. Second thing that drew me in and maybe drew you in as somebody coming to Westridge too, is we are grace wholesalers. Grace is loving people unconditionally. We're all about grace. And wholesalers, well, that's like Sam's or Costco's. It's a place that only sells stuff in bulk, right? Like a 50-gallon drum of mayonnaise or a 100-pound bag of rice, which, by the way, if you need some, I'm happy to split what I got. When I began attending Westridge, one of the very first things that drew me in was that grace wasn't just talked about, it was practiced and lived out. And the first place I saw that was from the guys who were teaching here on the stage. I was blown away because I watched them teach and I listened to what they said. And the stuff they said from this stage was very personal, very authentic. It was the kind of stuff that I never heard from the stage, let alone in groups or in personal conversations. I seldom heard it anywhere in a church. And not only were they not judged or fired for what they were said, they were extended grace. I got more involved in the church over time, and I started to meet people who were volunteering. Learn their story. I met people who were leading ministries, learn their story. And I discovered people in this church who, in my previous church experience, would have been marginalized in the church. They would have been discarded in the church as unfit to serve or lead a ministry because they had huge challenges in their life. Some they had overcome, some they were still in the middle of. But because of the grace mentality in this church, they were doing incredible things for God. They were leading and serving in ministries. Now, I could talk all day today and all day tomorrow about what I've seen in this church in six years in this regard. I think the best thing for me to do, rather than me talk about it, is to bring up one of our ministry leaders and let her talk about it her life, and what she's experienced. So I'm going to ask Lisa to come on up. You've read part of Lisa's story in some of the Believe uh, material that we've sent out, Uh, but Lisa's a phenomenal person, a good friend, and a great leader here, and I'm just going to let her tell her story. I think that's more powerful than me talking. Uh, So Lisa?
1: So many of you read uh, the first half of my story in the newsletter, and my dad's death, and then going through a painful divorce were game-changing times in my life, and Uh, you know sometimes through things like that God can use us in amazing ways and and God really did uh, bring to me healing restoration and renew hope so I was so thankful for that Um, and he really used me in such a powerful way and so much healing and so much acceptance has come from me just being part of this church Uh, there's no one at the door waiting to tell you that you're not good enough there's nobody at the door waiting to judge your past And there's nobody at the door waiting to uh, judge you for who you are, what you look like, or how you act. What you find through those doors and what Greg mentioned already was you find just a a group of people that are willing to accept you for exactly who you are, where you're at in your life, and really genuinely want you to be happy. And they want to see you grow in your relationship with God. It's that simple. And so as I mentioned in the newsletters, time passed, and as God healed me more... um, I began serving in Westridge Kids. And Westridge Kids has such a special place in my heart. I just absolutely love uh, the kids. And I have been doing that for several years now, and I do that during first service. And so uh, it's been a great experience for me. And so as I continued to serve, God started to help me to start connecting with people. And I really started to join different events and really uh, participate more in things that were going on at the church. So between serving and connecting with people, I really uh, was able to continue in my healing process. So as things came together in my life, Darren asked me to be on the leadership team. And when I tell you I stayed awake for nights, I am not exaggerating at all, because I was thinking there is no way that I am good enough to be a leader of this church. And I remember talking to Darren, and he said, Lisa, there is no perfect people, and thankfully uh, we serve a perfect God that loves us just the way we are anyway. So my journey began. And so now I'm not only on the leadership team, but I get to serve with seven amazing people on the Compassion team, and we have a blast together, and we have uh, just been able to do so many awesome things with so many of you, and really have had an impact, I think, uh, and hope, um, not only in this church, but in our community. I love this church. I love the authenticity of this place. I love that you can feel God when you walk in here. I am so energized when i walk into church and i just really love seeing people who first start attending church here and then they start serving and then they're baptized i love uh, seeing people who start serving after only being here for a short period of time and i've loved hearing stories about people already who are so excited to participate in the believe campaign because they believe in this church and um, i participated in the first believe campaign and when I did that, I, I barely even said hi. I mean, I really just literally may have said hi, but I came and went super fast. And back then, you know, we were all at ECC, and we wanted a church home. And so we really wanted to participate in the campaign in a powerful way. And so in the last 12 years, my life has changed completely. Not only have I grown so much spiritually, but uh, for the last two and a half years, I've been remarried to a great husband and I also have 11 year old daughter who's just uh, the you know pride and joy of my life so so this time uh, I am participating in the campaign um, because I'm in complete and total awe of what God has done in this place and what God has done in my life and I, I really believe not only in this church but I believe in all of you and this is my church and this is your church and I'm so excited to be on this journey with all of you.
0: I've been on staff in four different churches over the last 30 years, with a lot of different people, and there's not a one of them that I would take over Lisa. Um, yeah, her heart, the way she serves, um, and the way she develops the people who serve with her is just outstanding. And some of you, Westridge is the only church that you've ever known, and. You don't understand how unique this is, the environment that we've built here. Uh, I've been a part of a lot of churches that talk about grace but don't extend it. What they often extend is judgment and criticism. And churches, that, when you make a mistake or you have something in your past, you're forever labeled by it and you carry that with you. And as a result, you're never good enough. You never measure up. You can come to the church. You can attend, absolutely, and give. Oh, yeah, give. But lead? Serve in a significant way? No. We don't just believe that grace is something that happens when you cross the line of faith. Grace erases your sins. It wipes out the stains. And grace... Gives us a second and a third and a fifteenth and a hundredth chance at life. Grace is an everyday thing, not just a one time thing. And so leadership and serving around here isn't held tightly, it's given away to people to own and to lead. And not just perfect people, because remember, there aren't any of those around here, and not just staff because there aren't many of those around here. And that's not normal in church. I was reminded of this a couple of weeks ago. That's God emphasizing I'm right. (laughs) I was reminded of that a couple of weeks ago. I was at a church in Oklahoma, a great church. I'm not disparaging that church at all, but a church about our size. And as I started to meet people on a Sunday morning... It was like everybody I talked to said, hi, I'm on staff here. Hi, I'm on staff here. Hi, I'm on... I went, really? Is anybody not on staff here? I started to ask and I found out they had five full-time staff members. They had three paid administrators. They had a bunch of people who were part-time staff and interns. It was like everybody I met was on staff. It's not us. Two full-time, four part-time. No paid administrators. What we have is a huge number of volunteers who own and lead things in this place. We are volunteer-led and volunteer-driven at this church. We have people like C.J. Elliott and Donna Fiedler and Shane Paul and Liz Cusper and Jim Rauscher. We have people leading 90-plus ministries in this church as volunteers, major ministries in this church. We have and I'll single him out. Just one example. Norm Whitney, who serves as our executive pastor free of charge, a volunteer. And I have to remind myself constantly he's a volunteer. He puts in as many hours as I do, sometimes more in a given week. Serves with passion. He loves this place. As a volunteer. And I believe what we have here at Westridge, what we've done is we have created... A rebirth of the church as it was meant to be in Scripture. What we've done in the last four years is find and develop leaders, and we have put ministry in their hands and said, Do it, lead it, it's yours. Don't wait around for staff, run with it, own it. It started as a financial necessity four years ago. It has become an entrenched value that we will not change. Even if somebody dropped a big truckload of money on us, I am convinced we would not change that value here because it has made us stronger as a body. We own this church together, all of us. It's made us stronger in leadership, and it's made us stronger in extending grace to each other and to the community around us. I can talk about a lot of other things that I love about this church, but here's one more. We have become guerrilla lovers. Guerrilla warfare involves surprise attacks in close proximity. And it can change the outcome of a war. In terms of the church, guerrilla lovers surprise people around them with acts of love. And that can change our world. Jerusalem, the early church, was surviving in an economy that was in horrible shape. The economic conditions had deteriorated in Jerusalem over years of famines and shortages and continued political unrest, and so there were tremendous needs in Jerusalem for this early church. And Luke tells us that the people of that church were moved to countercultural generosity, so much so that no one claimed that any of their possessions were their own, but they shared everything. Some were even so moved that they sold land and houses and just brought it and laid it at the apostles' feet and said, Give it to anybody that has need. Now, clearly, not everybody was able to give. Some were in desperate need themselves, and so they received. But the net result, Luke said, was that God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all, the givers and the receivers that there were no needy people in that church. And notice the catalyst. What caused that? It was God's grace. That was was what was working in them to move them to generosity. Not guilt, not obligation. It wasn't the apostles standing up and saying, you need to sell that house, you need to sell that piece of land, you need to give more individuals were moved because of how their hearts had been impacted by grace and i have loved in the six years i've been a part of this church to see how grace has moved this church to generosity in fact we made a commitment as a church four years ago when we were at our toughest point financially that we would serve the poor and the needy in our community and we have held to that and we have increased it every single year for the last four years And we have resisted the pattern of most churches. We don't stand in front of you on a Sunday morning, as many of the churches I've been a part of do. We don't stand up here and say, here's what we've budgeted for giving, and here's where giving is. Notice the gap? We need you to step up your giving. And as a matter of fact, this morning, we're going to pass the bags a second time just to make sure that you've given what we need. I've actually seen churches do that. We don't do that. In fact, there are two things that you'll hear consistently from us on a Sunday morning about giving. The first of which, overwhelmingly, is what? Don't give. Don't give. If you're not giving, as Luke said, as a response to God's grace, don't give. If you're not at a place in your walk with God where generosity, you know, you're giving out of generosity, you're giving joyfully, Don't give. Continue to work on your relationship with God. Don't give. That's not normal in church. The second thing you'll hear us say is when we do say give, it's for something outside of the church, it's for a need in the community. We'll talk about giving for Huff, we'll talk about giving for backpacks, we'll talk about giving coats to people who are poor in our community, or to the Northern Illinois Food Bank, or to one of our mission trips to Haiti, or the Appalachian region, or South Dakota. But we don't stand up here and say, we're short in the budget, give. Why do we do that? Because we have this fundamental belief as a church, as a leadership, that we can't outgive God. When we take care of the poor and the needy among us, God will take care of us as a church. And we watch it happen every single year in this church. It's true. So let me come back to my original question. Is the vision and the mission of Westridge a worthy cause? Absolutely. Without question for me. I've driven a stake in the ground and said, this is the place where I want to invest my life, my energy, my time, and my resources. And not because I work here. I made that decision before I accepted the job. I love this place, and I want to be a part of it. And what I love about the Believe campaign is that it poses that question for all of us. Because the money we're raising isn't about a building. <laughs> it's not asking us, do I believe we need a new auditorium? Do I believe we need an education wing? Do I believe we need a multipurpose center? This campaign is about reducing debt so that we can have more money freed up to introduce people to the grace and the love of God in our community. It's missional. And one week from today, every one of us is going to have an opportunity to say in a very tangible way, I believe in this worthy cause. We'll each have an opportunity to make a commitment to the campaign. And all we're asking you to do is three very simple but profound things to get ready for next Sunday. The first is to pray. Simply spend time wrestling with God and asking, how would he have you respond to this opportunity? Second, listen. Listen to what God's saying in response to your prayers. And then third, be obedient. And if as you listen You feel God saying no or not now to this campaign? That's fine. For some of you, that would be the right response based on your finances and where you are. And that's okay. But some of you are going to hear a very clear yes from God. And you're going to come next Sunday ready to take a step of faith. We just want you to come next Sunday prayed up, and confident that you've wrestled with God about this capital campaign, and you're confident that you're taking the step that God's leading you to. For more than 10 years, I've had a little slip of paper on my desk that has a quote on it from Corey Ten Boom. She's a survivor of a Nazi death camp. She said, never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God thought about that quote a lot in the last few weeks because really campaigns like this come down to a choice for me between fear and faith and which one will win out in our relationship with God And as I've wrestled with this, I've realized there's a lot I don't know about the next three years. I don't trust that our government is going to be able to solve a lot of the problems that are facing us in our world. I don't have any confidence or trust that the stock market's going to be able to solve the wild swings it's had in the last four years over the next three years. I don't trust that our economy's going to have any better grounding in the next three years than it's had in the last four. I don't know what's going to happen in the next three years of my life. It's a lot of unknowns. The one thing I do know and the one thing I trust, the one thing that's been true in my life for 53 years is the faithfulness of God. So I'm making a commitment to this campaign based on the faithfulness of God. That with His help, I'll be able to make that commitment and meet it. Maybe, by His grace, exceed it in the next three years. A commitment to a very worthy cause, a commitment to a church with a mission and a vision that I believe in with all my heart. A commitment that in the end, it will not be fear, but it will be faith that will win out in my relationship with God. God, we are so grateful for your grace in our lives and how it moves us, how it shapes us, how it changes us from the people we once were into the people that you call us to be. So change us, God, every single day. Move us, shape us, be in us. Remind us of your grace now and each day of our lives. In Christ's name, amen.